Good morning to you, Dave. It's that time of the week again. August is Shaw, Jerry Adams at Conch Live Show. I hope everyone is uh, well. That the election, which is going to be called in the North, may well have been called by the time you get to listen to this uh, podcast. And I hope you exercise your vote uh, very, very wisely and that you ensure that the Democratic Unionist Party, which refused to accept the outcome of the last election, are told loudly and clearly that there's no way backwards. It's always facing forwards. It's always about the vast majority of the people here who want the process of change to work, in fairness and with equality for everyone and cast your vote, if you would, accordingly. So, it was a nice event. I wasn't able to be at it. And my great leader, Fran McCann, uh, stepped in and presided and made a keynote address to mark the 40th year of Conway Mill. Now, Conway Mill, for those of you who don't know it, has been at the heart of West Belfast for almost 200 years. It used to be, in its first manifestation, a very hard place for those who worked there, for generations of local people, mainly women, and then in more recent times, on for 40 years, a community hub which provided education and entertainment and employment opportunities. So last week, as I've said, the mill celebrated its 40th birthday, a birthday of some significance given the time it has been supporting and facilitating small indigenous economic enterprises and providing adult education facilities. The mill was built in 1842 in the decade of Angorta Moor, when thousands across Ulster fled hunger in Ulster and in the West and came to Belfast seeking work and shelter. And Conway Mill was one of the many flax mills across Belfast. Living and working conditions were dreadful. The hours were long. Child labour was prevalent. Workers had no rights. They were hired and fired at the whim of employers. James Connolly once famously described the linen mill workers as the linen slaves of Belfast. And then following partition, many of these hardships, as well as the use of sectarianism and segregation were reinforced by the unionist regime which came into power. Life was hard for working people, including working-class Protestant people. And in the small back-to-back streets around Conway Mill, overcrowding and poverty were endemic, and discrimination against Catholics was widespread. And all of that was made worse by the pogroms of 1969, which saw some of the streets and mills in and around Conway Mill destroyed. By 1970, many of the mills, including Conway Mill, were lying derelict. 
In the early 1980s, Tom Cahill, my old friend, the late Tom Cahill, came to me with a, an idea. I was the MP for West Belfast at the time. An idea for a unique and innovative project for West Belfast. Tom proposed that Conway Mill could be bought and should be turned into a community enterprise project providing education, self-help and local employment opportunities. Now, Tom deserves great credit for his vision and foresight. He was a small businessman himself. He could legitimately have developed the mill in his own interest. And I don't think that even entered Tom's head. His interest was in this community and its citizens. So we organised a management committee which included many well-known local Republican and community activists like Frank Cahill, Father Des Wilson, Liam Burke, Alfie Hunnaway, Jimmy Drum, Gene McStrophic, Sean O'Neill, Tom Cahill, Colum Bradley. And in 1982, Spring Hill Community House, which was doing exemplary work up in Spring Hill, opened the education floor in the mill. Noelle Ryan, Elsie Best, and other amazing women played pivotal leadership roles, making it livable and usable took a great deal of effort. Hall and Assertia Freedom Hall was frequently used for the staging of plays written by local people, including Father Des. I always took great delight in being at any of those events. I remember a particularly uh, memorable concert by Tony McMahon, the accordion player who, who played his amazing rendition of uh, Port Nabucchi. I remember the hairs, the back of my neck starting to rise up and then at another occasion, Christy Moore playing and lots of other local artists and also a delegation of visiting uh, North American native people with their sacred drum playing it in Conway Mill. And Holland and Searsha was also used for conferences, for debates, occasionally for press conferences by Sinn Féin, and some of the most important press conferences during the early days of the peace process were held there. A crash was established and staffed by ACE, Action for Community Employment. Workers and teachers and tutors were provided by the Workers' Educational Association, the WER, and the Ulster People's College. But regrettably, though not surprisingly, Conway Mill became a target for the British state. After the mill hosted a community-led public inquiry into the killing of a young man, John Downs, by a plastic bullet fired by the RUC in August 1984, the mill was targeted for what was referred to as political vetting. And the crash lost its funding and its workers. Businesses and community organisations were told they would they also would be refused funding if they moved into the mill. However, the management refused to be coerced, refused to be intimidated, and continued to fundraise and to develop the mill. And in this, they were enormously helped by friends, particularly in the USA. Following the 
West Belfast and Greater Shankill Task Force report the mill received substantial funding for regeneration, including from the Office of First and Deputy First Minister. And the official opening of the refurbished mill in November 200, 2010 was a victory for the determination, vision and courage of that first management committee in those difficult days in the 1980s and all who have taken up the task since then and who continue to develop and sustain Conway Mill. Along the way, yes, we've lost many of those who were with us at the start, but we're deeply indebted to them all. The story of Conway Mill is a story of this community and of the great sense of solidarity and never giving up that exists in working class West Belfast. So well done to you all who are celebrating 40 years of Conway Mill. I was also taken by news reports recently, uh, which were all about Bono, U2's lead singer, and his new book, Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. And I'm looking forward to reading it. It's been published round about now. And I understood from press reports that he says his wife, Ali, and he were targets for the IRA. And that's news to me, and I'm sure to anyone else close to Republican thinking back in the day. Bono's also quoted in some news reports as claiming that I hate him. Nope, Paul, not me. You must be mixing me up with someone else. I don't hate anyone. It's a wasted negative emotion. I do detest imperialism, a good old-fashioned word. I detest greed, cruelty, unbridled capitalism, war, poverty. I believe in freedom and solidarity and equality and community and socialism. I believe in nature and the natural world. I believe in the arts. I also think Bono is a very fine songwriter. I like U2's music, I always have. And Bono, you do have a good voice. The focus you brought to the awfulness afflicted on people in the developing world is commendable. But some of your commentary on the conflict here was shrill, ill-informed and unhelpful. However, you weren't on your own. You echoed the Irish establishment line. It was the wrong line for decades. A failure of governance and the abandonment of responsibility to lead a process of peace, a process towards justice. But thankfully, that changed. But it took a long time. Despite this, some of us got through it, with or without you. Many didn't, including friends of mine and neighbours and family members. But no hard feelings, Bono. Now the conflict is finished. Thanks to all who contributed to that. There's a lot still to be done to remove its causes and to heal the hurt. But we all get that message and we will all get that done also and shape our own future despite the detractors. 
So all of us have a positive role to play in all of that by working together. So go well, Akara, and good luck with the new book. I've been very taken for some time by what's going on in Africa. And you know, the history of Angarta Moor, the Great Hunger, runs deep into our psychic, us Irish people. And few have not read or heard about the unimaginable horror that people in Ireland faced during the 1840s. Some labelled it the famine, although we know that there was sufficient food on the island to feed the people. Political decisions allowed for over a million to die and millions more to take to coffin ships for other shores. So imagine if you would, if your family or friends or neighbours were facing a desperate struggle for survival with the likelihood that many would be dead from famine by Christmas. That's the stark, brutal reality facing over 7 million men, women and children in Somalia. A decade ago, it was thought that more than a quarter of a million Somalis died of hunger. A quarter of a million. Half of them children under five. UNICEF and the World Health Organization have been warning for months that the situation this time could be much worse. Climate change has imposed four consecutive years of drought and Somalia now faces its fifth season with no rain. The result is that in a country with little infrastructure and limited resources, over a million people, mainly women carrying young children, have been forced to leave their homes to try and reach emergency centres. The photographs and the film images of desperate people and emaciated children and babies is shocking. The accounts of mothers burying their babies at the side of the road is deeply disturbing. Food aid and medicines are an immediate priority, but longer term strategies and supports are needed, including rehabilitating water points. There's also been a call for wealthy states to compensate Somali and others for the catastrophic impact of climate change on their lives. In the UN, this is known as loss and damage financing, and it's on the agenda for the Climate Change Summit, COP27. In the meantime, folks, make your voice heard in demanding greater aid for Somalia. Raise it with your government, raise it with your public reps. Write about it, expound about it. And if you can afford it, send whatever you can afford to reputable uh, projects in that region. And I'm, I'm going to end... And it's a sad song, and I, I usually try to finish on a, a bright note. But I'm going to end with a, a song called The Praties, They Grow Small. Now, praties, or prety, is the Irish word for potatoes. And this is a version of this song from our own Gortamore, from our own Great Hunger. And it's by Clark Jones. Don't let it make you sad. Let it make you angry. Slana Karja. Oh, the praties, they grow small over here. Oh, 
over here. Oh, the praties, they grow small, and they grow from spring to fall, and we eat them skins and all over here, over here. Oh, I wish that we were geese, night and morn, night and morn. Oh, I wish that we were geese, for they fly and take their ease, and they live and die in peace over here, over here. Oh, we're trampled in the dust over here, over here. Oh, we're trampled in the dust, but the Lord in whom we trust will give us crumb for crust over here, over here. Oh, the praties, they grow small over here, over here. Oh, the praties, they grow small, and they grow from spring to fall, and we eat them skins and all over here.